Hi, and welcome to Etalma 2.0. We are beginning a new tractate, Meseches Moed Katan. Tractate Moed Katan. It's a wonderful tractate. It goes through many very, very important, very relevant um, laws, such as the laws of Chol HaMoed, which is the laws of the intermediate day of, of the festivals, which of course are very relevant, and as well um, go through the laws of mourning, Jewish mourning. Um, so there's a, there's a lot here. Um, it's certain to keep us riveted, and uh, let us begin. So we're in Moed Katan, uh, Daf Beis Ahmed Aleph, we're on 2A, and we're going to start with the Mishnah from the very beginning. So just one quick, one quick point um, to get us started. So, in general, when it comes to doing forbidden labor or labor on Chol Hamoid, which are the intermediate days of a festival, um, just like the regular days of a festival, Malacha, forbidden labor, would be forbidden. The specific labors that are forbidden on the first day and the last day of the holiday are also going to be forbidden during the intermediate days. However, there are exceptions to this rule when it comes to Chol Hamoid, and that's why we tend to be able to do a lot more on Chol Hamoid. Um, one of the exceptions is is something that is davar ha'aved, if something that's going to be lost, meaning if you don't do a particular labor, you will lose out, you will suffer a loss, um, then you can do that labor on chol ha'moed. Um, however, there's another um, caveat to that loss. So yes, you can do a forbidden labor on chol ha'moed if it would result in a loss if you do not do it. However, if it requires excessive exertion, then you're actually still not allowed to do it. So those are just two quick points to share before we begin the Mishnah. And now let's begin. Mashkin beis hashlachin. You may water a field that needs to be irrigated. A beis hashlachin, a field that needs to be irrigated, b'moed uvashviz, both during chol hamoed and during the seventh year of the Shemitah cycle, which is when you're, which is when land has to remain fallow, but you can still water. The you can still water this type of field on Chol Hamoid, even though it requires forbidden labor, and as well during Shemitah, whether from a newly emerged spring, or from a spring that is not newly emerged, an older spring. And what this is telling us at this point is that a new spring is one that um, has a, you know, just recently had walls built around it in order to allow the water to flow. And what we're saying is, is that we are not worried that um, that the walls of the new spring may not yet be sturdy and it, they may fall and then you'd have to fix them on Yom Tiv, which you're not allowed to do. We don't worry that that may come to happen. Um, so that's where we are so far. Well, Amashkin, however, you're not allowed to water. Um, you're not allowed to water an irrigated field from a rainwater, which is a pool of rainwater, or from the water of a well, because that would require um, going and taking pail after pail from the rainwater pool or from the well, and that is excessive exertion. So even though by not, so even so even though watering, um, so even though. You're allowed to water an irrigated field, a field that needs to be irrigated, because if you don't, you will lose out on that field because it will dry up. Um, but um, when it requires this excessive exertion, like like bringing a pail of water over and over again, then it's not going to be allowed. 
You're also not allowed to make ditches around the roots of grapevines in order to collect rainwater on Chol HaMoed. Again, that is considered excessive exertion. Okay. Um, Rebbe Lazar ben Azariah, Omer Rebbe Lazar ben Azariah says, You're not allowed to dig a new irrigation canal during Chol HaMoed or during Shemitah. Um, but the sages says, You actually are allowed to dig a new irrigation canal during the Shemitah year. And you can repair damaged um, irrigation canals during Chol HaMoed. And the reason for this, um, um, the reason that the, the Rebbe Lezer ben Azariah says that you're not allowed to build a new irrigation canal during Chol HaMoed, um, even though it's something that's necessary, is because it's excessive, excessive exertion. Um, and, uh, and the sages say that that is not the case. Okay. Um, let's keep going. Um, so now we're going to talk about a new category of labor that is permitted on Chol HaMoed, which is Tzarche Rabin, which is work that is performed for the sake of more than you, for the sake of the community. So we're going to give some examples of that. You can repair damaged cisterns in the public domain because that impacts the water the water supply of the entire community. You can clear them out. Again, it impacts on the water supply of the entire community. And you can repair the roads and the streets. And the mikvahs, the ritual baths. And you can tend to all public needs. And you can mark the graves. And agents of the court can go out um, to inspect fields for Kalayim. So all of these things that although they require forbidden labor, labor that would generally be forbidden on the holiday because they are for the sake of the because they are for the sake of the community, for more, for the for the plurality, they are allowed to be done on Chol Hamoid, on the intermediate days of the festival, and we will discuss this further as we go on in the Gemara. Just by the way, I talked about agents that go out to inspect um, for Kalayim. Kalayim is certain mixtures that are forbidden and not only is it forbidden to plant these types of mixtures together but it's also forbidden to allow these mixtures to remain in the ground in one's field even if it was planted by somebody that wasn't jewish or grew naturally so agents of the court would inspect fields and they would up uproot any kalayim any of these forbidden species forbidden mixtures that they would find so what we're talking about is that they're allowed to go and do this on yamtiv on cholhamoid i'm sorry okay All right. Um, now we're gonna. Now we're at the Gemara, and we're gonna analyze the Mishnah. The first part of the Mishnah said that an irrigated field can be watered from a newly emerged spring or from an old spring. And now we're gonna talk about that. So now, if from a newly emerged spring, um, where one could say that the that the risk does exist that the walls may fall because they're not sturdy enough yet. Mashkin, we still allow you to water on Chol Hamoid from that newly emerged spring, and we don't worry that, oh, perhaps the walls will collapse, and you'd have to come and rebuild them, which you're not allowed to do on the holiday. Um, but it, So if we, if we're the Mishnah is telling us that you're allowed to water from a new spring where there remains, where there exists such a concern, so then when it comes to a not new spring, an old spring, 
the low asilim kule, where the walls are very sturdy, they're firmly established, so they will definitely not collapse. I mean, baya, is it necessary to state that? Meaning, why not just say state that you can water from a new spring, and then of course we'll know you can water from an old spring. No concern exists there. So, let's see. So the Gemara says, Amri, they said, Itzterich, it's necessary. What is it necessary for? As follows. If the Mishnah had only stated that you can use a new spring, I may have thought, I would have thought that it's only in this type of irrigated field case, a field that needs to be irrigated, that you can water from a new spring. But a rainwatered field, you may not use a new spring, because we're concerned that the walls of the spring may come to collapse. And let's just quickly talk about what we mean. When we refer to a rainwatered field, we're talking about one that can rely on rainwater alone, but it will be better if it does, ha- it grows better and faster um, if in fact um, you also irrigate it as well. So what we're saying is, is that we may have thought, if all we talked about was the new spring and said that that's going to be allowed, we may have thought that that's going to be allowed when it comes to an irrigated field but not for a rain-watered field, because we'd have to worry, because then we do take that concern necessary by a rain-watered field, because it's not as necessary to water a rain-watered field using irrigation, because it could subsist just on rainwater alone, so then we may take that concern of the walls perhaps falling seriously. But regarding a spring that was not newly emerged, an older spring, where the walls will not come to collapse, I may have thought a I may have thought that I can even use that for a rainwatered field. Therefore, the Mishnah teaches us that whether it's a newly emerged spring or a spring that's not newly emerged, in an irrigated field can be watered from it. but a rainwatered field may not. Okay, so now we're just going to take a moment to um, to go on a bit of a tangent to understand the wording used to describe irrigated fields and then some other fields. Let's see. From where do we know that this word, which is the word that we use for an irrigated field, is an expression of thirst, meaning it's a field that's thirsty for water. Where do we see the word used to describe thirsty? So we answered, the verse tells us in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, and you were faint and you were exhausted. And the Aramaic translation of that by the Targum Onkelos is, you were mishalhe and exhausted. And the word mishalhe is the same word as shalachin. So we see very clearly that that word means faint or, or, or thirsty. Um, now we're going to look at a different word. And for where do we know that this word, which is how we describe a rainwatered field, how do we, where does the word Baal use to describe the word settled? Because this field is settled, right? It's settled. It's, 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 it's satisfied with the natural rainfall. So we answered, um, the verse says, because the verse tells us in Yeshayahu, in Isaiah, the verse says, as a young man lives with a besula, with a uh, young woman. Um, and the 
Onk, the Targum, the Aramaic translation of that verse says, Are as a young man settles down with a young man, woman, so will your children settle in you. And the word used um, and the word used here to um, to, so the Aramaic translation of Yival, which is to live with, but it's the same language, Bez, Ayin, Lamed, of Bez Habal, the rainwater field. And Onkelos, it describes it as Yisyatvun, which is this word of settling. And that's where we get to refer to a rainwater field as a settled field, meaning that it has it's settled because it's satisfied with just rainwater alone. Okay, so now... Now... We're going to talk a little bit about more about the Mishnah. Man Tana de Pseida in Harbachalo. Who is the Tana of our Mishnah? Who is the author of our Mishnah that holds that to prevent a loss, a loss of principle, you can perform labor on Cholamoin, but for the sake of profit, you're not allowed to. And that even in the face of a loss of principle, you're not allowed to perform labor that requires excessive exertion. So who, meaning that is obvious, the case, obviously the case in our Mishnah. Who is the author of our Mishnah? That's what we're wondering. Amr Afuna. Afuna says, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. It's Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. It's not, because we learned in a Mishnah. It's actually a Mishnah here in, in Moe Katan. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, Omer. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, Moshchen esamayim e'ilan le'ilan. You can take water from one tree to another tree on Chol HaMoed. So if you have a large amount of water gathered under one tree, you can divert that water to a different other trees in the field. Uvalvad shelo yashkes asadakula, provided that you do not um, water the entire field with that water. Um, so what are we seeing? We're seeing as follows. Trees if they're not watered, will suffer irretrievable loss, right? It will be a loss of principle. So we see Rabbi Lazman Yaakov allows you to take water, that excess, excess water around one tree and bring it to another tree. But he does not allow you to improve the productivity of the rest of the field because that would be, um, that would be making a profit, not preventing a loss of principle. So we see that very clearly. So now the Gemara is going to say, Amor So now we're saying like, okay, so we see from Rabbi Rezor ben Yaakov that he obviously feels that you're not allowed to do labor on Cholamoid for, for profiting, just for, the only way you are is if you're going to prevent a, a loss of principle. But, but have you heard that he forbids excessive exertion in the face of an irretrievable loss? No, we don't see that in Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov. So El Amar of Papa, rather of Papa says, Hamani, who is the Tana of our Mishnah? Who is the author of our Mishnah? Rabbi Yehudahi, it's Rabbi Yehuda. The Tanya, because we learned in Abraisa. We learned in Abraisa as follows. Mayan Hayotse Betchila, a spring that is just emerging. So it's a new spring. Mashkimimenu Afilo Sedebe Sabah. You can water from it, even a rain-watered field. Divri Rabbi Mer, these are the words of Rabbi Mer. Um, Rebbe Meir obviously argues with our Mishnah um, because a rainwatered field would be to make profit to water it, irrigate it, but it wouldn't be to 
um, make for irretrievable loss because the rainwater itself keeps it sustained. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda says, Ein mashkin, you're only allowed to water an irrigated field that dried up. Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah Omer, lokach velokach, Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah says, neither this nor that. He disagrees with both of them. And then Yasser al-Kain Amr Rabbi Yehuda, and moreover Rabbi Yehuda said, lo yafana adam amas amayim, v'yashke liginaso l'charvaso b'chul shemoyim. You're not allowed to clean out your irrigation canal and water from it your garden or your ruin on chul hamoyim. So, what we're basically showing, what Rav Papa is trying to say is it's Rabbi Yehuda that is the one that says you are allowed to do labor on Cholamoid if it's to prevent an irretrievable loss, but not if it requires excessive exertion. So we're going to now analyze Rabbi Yehuda's words. The first thing we're going to analyze is Rabbi Yehuda said that you can water an irrigated field that dried up. My Charva. What does this mean when we talk about an irrigated field that dried up? If it literally dried up, then... That can't be. What's the purpose in watering it? Once it's completely dried up, there's no way to salvage it. So obviously we're not talking about that. Amar Abaye, so Abaye explains, it dried up regarding this spring, meaning the spring from which it was watered until now dried up. And another spring emerged from which it can be watered. So what Rabbi Huda is saying is that since the field was accustomed to be being watered from the first spring, Rehibiyuda now permits it to be watered from the new spring because if you don't water it from that spring, from a new spring, it will be an irretrievable loss. And on that, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah says, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah says, lokach lokach, neither this nor that, meaning, whether the spring dried up or whether its spring did not dry up, in both instances, a newly emerged spring may not be used. So what do we see from Rabbi Yehuda? We see that number one, he holds, that you're not allowed to do labor for in order to increase profit because all he's allowing you to water is a previously watered irrigated field. And number two, we see at the end of that b'risa that he forbids the use of excessive exertion even if it is to prevent an irretrievable loss because he prohib- prohibits cleaning out a clogged irrigation canal because that requires excessive exertion. So now, so seemingly... Um, Rav Papa's point that it's that our Mishnah was, was authored by Rabbi Huda would seem to stand and make sense. Umi mai, but now we're going to ask, and on what basis do you say that our Tana of our Mishnah is Rabbi Huda? Dilma atkan lo Rabbi Huda in Perhaps Rabbi Huda stated his ruling that an irrigated field can be watered, but a rain field, rain-watered field cannot. Only with regard to a newly emerged spring. We're now on Bezama Beze, 2B. Dilma Asilim Pule. And the reason for that would be is because we'd be concerned that the walls of the spring will come to collapse. Um, and therefore, it cannot be used for a rainwatered field. But if it's an old spring, there where you don't have to worry that the walls will collapse and you'd have to fix it on Yamtiv. Perhaps Rabbi Huda would say that a rainwatered field can also be watered with it. And if that's the case, Rabbi Huda would then actually hold that you can even do malacha, you can even do labor, even if it's just to prevent, even if it's not just if it's to prevent loss, but even if it's to make profit. So now the Gemara is going to say, no, that cannot be what Rabbi Huda holds. 
If so, that what you're saying about Rabbi Huda is correct, then who will you attribute our Mishnah to? Elul Rabbi Huda, it has to be that it's Rabbi Huda because we have no one else to attribute our Mishnah to. And what we'll have to conclude is Rabbi Huda's opinion is, that no matter whether it was a newly emerged spring or a spring that was older, you can use it to irrigate your irrigated field. Um, low, but not for a rainwater field. So then why did the Brisa teach the case specifically in regard to a newly emerged spring? It's coming to teach us the strength, the stringency of Rabbi Mer. I'm sorry, the leniency of Rabbi Mer, where he holds that even if it's a newly emerged spring, um, he'll agree that you can use that water even for a rain-watered field. And that would be Rabbi Mer's opinion. So we were trying to teach you the extent of Rabbi Mer's leniency. Okay, so now we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to, on the same topic, but we're going to divert our attention for just a little bit to uh, the rulings concerning Shabbos. Itmar, it was stated. If you weed or you water seeds on Shabbat, on account of which melacha do you warn him? So the rule is, is if, is in order to be punished in a human court for any sort of transgression, you have to first receive a warning. And the warning has to be very specific, that you are about to transgress the following forbidden labor in the case of Shabbat. So the question is, and you have to make sure you get it right to, for it to be an effective warning. So now we're wondering, when you weed or you water seeds, you see somebody weeding or watering seeds on Shabbat, on account of which av melacha do you have to warn them? On account of which category of forbidden labor must they be warned so rab so which when if you're weeding or you're watering on shabbat which malacha which category of forbidden labor is this rabba amar mishum choresh rabba said it's plowing rab yosef amar mishum zoreya rab yosef says it is sowing two different forbidden labors amar rabba rabba says my opinion is more reasonable because what is when you're plowing, what are you doing when you're plowing? You're softening the earth. So, so to here, when you're weeding or you're watering, you're softening the earth. says, No, my opinion is more reasonable. Because when you're sowing, you're promoting the growth of the produce. So so too, when you're weeding or when you're watering, you are weeding and watering, you're promoting the growth of the produce. So two different opinions as to which labor you have transgressed. So now we're going to ask, Abaye said to Rabba, it's, it's according to your opinion, there's a question. And according to Rav Yosef's opinion, there's a difficulty. According to your opinion, there's a difficulty. You're telling me that you're going to transgress because of plowing, but not because of sowing. Seemingly, it should be both. And the Rav Yosef question, it's also a question according to Rav Yosef's opinion. Mishum Zorea in Mishum on account of sowing, you're going to warn him, but not on account of plowing. Right? He should be subject to warning for either Malacha, because really it is a 
transgression of either one of those two forbidden labors. And if you're going to say that um, there cannot be a choice for which malacha to warn him, because if there are ever two forbidden labors involved in one action, the person is liable for only one, and you have to warn them for that one. But Rav Kahana said very clearly, in a scenario where you prune, right? You prune, and you also need the wood that you're pruning for fuel. So you are therefore being, really, there are two different forbidden labors that you are transgressing. You are transgressing um, harvesting or cutting, cutting down trees, and your, um, and pruning, which is a form of sowing. We say you're obligated to bring two different sacrifices if you do it by mistake. One on account of planting, which is the pruning one, and one on account of reaping. So we see very clearly that if, a, and therefore we should conclude as well that if a person is weeding and watering, he uh, weeding and watering, he's actually transgressing both the malacha of plowing and the malacha of sowing. So you should be subject to warning on account of either one of the malachas. Kasha, and we the Gemara concludes that it is a difficulty and it is a very good question, and seemingly that should be the case. You should be liable to a warning for either one of those two forbidden labors. So now Rav Yosef challenged Rabbah. If you pull out weeds and you cover seeds with earth to and you foster the growth of forbidden mixtures, loka, we see that you will get malchus, you will receive um, lashes. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Rabbi Akiva says, even if you merely maintain kalayim, you will incur lashes. Right? So meaning, even if you see Kalayim growing and you don't outroot it, you will still get lashes. So Rav Yosef is going to say, It's well according to my opinion that I say that if you pull weeds from a field on Shabbat, your warning is going to be on account of sowing. That's why if you pull weeds from a field of Kalayim, which would therefore foster the growth of Kalayim, that you're going to be liable because you will be sowing the kalayim, and that is explicitly forbidden in the Torah to sow kalayim. But according to you, but according to you who says that pulling weeds on Shabbat is a transgression of choresh, of plowing, now back into our kalayim case, there's no, is there really a, is it forbidden to plow kalayim? Certainly not. So then, therefore, why then, if you pull weeds around Kalayim, would you then be liable? Rather, it must be that pulling weeds is about sowing, and on Shabbat, the forbidden labor would be sowing. To which Rabbah responds, Omar le, Mishum Mikayim. So he says to Rav Yosef, the Brisa means that one who weeds is liable on account of maintaining Kalayim. And that's why he would be, that's why it would be forbidden, and that's why he would get his lashes. But then we ask, but from the fact that the second part of the Brisa says, Rabbi Kiva Omer Afamakayim, the Rabbi Kiva says, even one who maintains Mekalayim is liable, is liable. The implication would be is that the Tanakama, the first opinion, who said that it's forbidden to pull weeds around Kalayim, is not because of maintaining, but rather because of a different reason. So we answer, Kula Rabbi Kiva, he no. The entire opinion is 
The entire Baraisa is really the opinion of Rabbi Kiva. Umay Tam Kamar. And it's telling you, and it's you working in a very specific way. It's working as follows. The second part of the Brisa is explaining the reason for the first, first part of the Brisa. My tam hamanakesh from achapa the claim loka. What's the reason that one who weeds or covers seeds, and thereby fosters the growth of claim? Why do they incur lashes? Ah, the second part of the Brisa, mishum mekayim. It's because you are guilty of maintaining claim. Shrevi Akiva Omer, because Rabbi Akiva says afa mekayim that even if you maintain claim, you will be liable for lashes. So we're going to ask, my time at Rabbi Kiva, what's the Rabbi Kiva's reason for saying that if you maintain Klein, you're liable to lashes? The Tanya, because you learned in Abraisa. The verse says, your field, do not sow with Klein. So the verse says, your field, you're not allowed to sow with Klein. So, so far we know the only forbidden thing to do with Klein, with a forbidden mixture, is to sow it. From where do I know that maintaining Klein is also forbidden? So for that, we have a, the verse that reads as follows. So I want to just share how the verse is read. It says, Your animal, you're not allowed to mate as climb. You're not allowed to mate your animal with another type of animal. And your field, do not sow with climb. And the wording that is used here, your field, do not sow with climb, is unusual for the Torah. Because usually it would say, do not sow your field with climb. Instead, it says, your field, do not sow. So why this odd understand? Why this odd language? So what we're saying is, is The Torah wanted to have a the following progression of words. In your field, no. Which would then teach us that you're not even allowed to maintain in your field. Okay, now we're going to go back to our Mishnah for a moment, and we're going to finish up for the day. Tanam, we learned in the Mishnah. You can water an irrigated field during Cholamoid and during Shemitah. Now it's understandable that you can water an irrigated field on Cholamoid. Because the reason you're not allowed to do forbidden labor on Cholamoid is it's because of exertion. And the rabbis allowed basic exertion in order to um, save someone from financial loss. But on Shemitah, why would you be allowed to water? Whether you say that the watering is prohibited on account of sowing, or whether it's prohibited because of plowing, both sowing and plowing during Shemitah are either of those permissible? Definitely not. So why are you allowed to water an irrigated field on Shemitah? Amar so Abaye answers, The Mishnah is ruling specifically referring to Shemitah during nowadays. For Rebbe, he, and it's going according to Rebbe. Because Rebbe tells us that nowadays, the observance of Shemitah is just on a rabbinic level. It's not on a Doraisa level. It's not on a biblical level. And if it's on a rabbinic level, they have the power to then be flexible in cases of financial loss. Titania, like we learned in Abraisa. Rebbe Omer, Rebbe says, The verse says in Deuteronomy, and this is the matter of the relinquishment, relinquish. So why the double language? The verse speaks of two relinquishments during the seventh year. One is the relinquishment of land, meaning you have to make allow your land to remain fallow. 
And the other one is the relinquishment of monies, which refers to the obligation to desist from collecting debts which carried o- debts which carried over to the seventh year. And the idea is Bishman And what the Torah is telling us is that at a time that you relinquish land, you have to relinquish your money, meaning you're no longer allowed to collect debts. But at a time that you do not relinquish land, you do not have to relinquish money. So what the clear inference is, is that there is a time where you do no longer have to relinquish land, at least on a biblical level. And that is Rabbi Huda's opinion, Rebbe's opinion. And that's who our mission is going according to. That there comes a time which happens to be when you do not have a majority of the Jewish people living in the land of Israel, where you no longer have to, on a biblical level, relinquish your land. And therefore, it just becomes a rabbinic law, and the rabbis have the, op- the ability to be flexible when it comes to a financial loss. So that's what we're going to stop for right now. Um, and uh, thanks so much for learning together.